I just think people forget that a real business is, a, is an asset that can be sold. And I've had these other coaching businesses where, or agencies where just kind of, they would just kind of dissolve whenever I got tired of working on them. And they would just end up poofing into thin air. And it's like, that's like, that could be 25 months of revenue or profit up ahead. That's just kind of dissolving into thin air. And I was like, man, this is like, that, that was a light bulb moment for me. And it sounds obvious looking back, but I just didn't really think about that. That like a $10,000 a month course business is worth a lot less than $10,000 a month software business. This is The Fighting Entrepreneur, the podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to change the world. Learn how to start, build, and scale a business in today's highly competitive business environment. Here's your host, The Fighting Entrepreneur, Anik Singhal. What's up, you crazy fighting entrepreneurs? Guess who it is? Your favorite person in the whole world, back with another fight, stepping into the ring with me today is someone who's been having some pretty big fights himself. So I'm not gonna try to fight him today. We're just gonna try to learn from him. But uh, we're gonna talk SaaS. We're gonna talk about software and why that's the best business. And you can see, I like that. Slowly putting the putting Mr. Jasper in front of everybody. That's right, some of you might have just recognized and said, hey, that's Jasper. That's the, co- uh, the automated AI driven copywriting bot. Um, it's gonna be a really fun conversation today. You know, I have, Except I've done SaaS, but I've not really done SaaS. And the way I explain that is I was very fortunate to be part of an amazing team to have helped build Sendlane. And so um, now I exited that uh, in 2021. It was awesome. And my best friend's still running it. So I still get to kind of see. And But I, I was never actively involved. And now I got a bug. I got an itch. I want to build a SaaS. It sounds fun. But I also know there's a lot of pain involved. That much I know from the scent lane process. But our guest today is someone who I've gotten been getting to know because of his recent work with, with Jasper. Um, and if any of you are thinking it was formerly known as Jarvis, we're going to get into the name change and why that happened. It's a fun story. Um, he made a post, so I think at this point, maybe a couple months ago, that was very like, everybody should be doing SaaS, period. Something like that, okay? I paraphrase. And it caught my attention and I was like, I, I agree, but what do I do? I don't know what SaaS to launch and my brain doesn't work that way and I'm such a digital publishing course selling kind of guy. So he was like, oh dude, there's definitely a SaaS inside of you. And I was like, okay, okay, let's not talk about this anymore. Let's talk about it on the podcast. Let's let everyone else listen in and, and get fun from it. So why is he the right guy to teach us this? He took his, this is his third SaaS. Everyone's kind of gotten bigger and bigger. This third one he launched from zero to over 50,000 paying customers, keyword there, paying customers in less than one year. That is insane. I can only begin to imagine what the valuation of this company is at 50,000 freaking users. It's insane. Um, so I want to learn from him. Not to mention, I've also been an affiliate for this. I've seen it from inside of a user. I'm an affiliate. I've kind of like, experience this company from all around. So I'd love to build something wholesome like this myself. And Dave Rogan Moser, who is here today, has promised to help show us exactly how to do that. So I don't know, or I don't think he really needs much of an introduction. I've gotten to know him over the last year. He's building some amazing stuff. And he is currently the founder, co-founder of Jasper, a software that pretty much everyone in the marketing world's heard of. So Help me welcome to the proverbial fighting ring, Dave. Dave, what's up, man? How are you? Good, man. My goal 
over the next however long we're talking is just to convince you and empower you to go launch your own SaaS company here. So love you're, uh, you're, you're going to be fired up at the end of this. Man. <laughs> I love it. Hey, I've always said my favorite podcast episodes are the ones where afterwards I go launch a company. <laughs> and so this will be this. I haven't done that in quite some time. So maybe this will be it. Um, so, Dave, it, it, uh, first of all, congrats on your amazing success um, and the fact that we're going to rip into all of this today. I want to hear about your story, but I kind of want to start with a funny story, which is your tool was originally called Jarvis. And I am anyone who knows me knows I'm a big Iron Man fan. I'm, I'm like, I got people who were emailing me condolences, you know, after the last movie. Sorry, that's a total spoiler alert, but uh, like it's that bad. People were like, man, I'm really sorry for your loss. Like, I love Iron Man. So it was originally named Jarvis, and I loved that about it. But now it's called Jasper. What, what's going on there? And then we'll backtrack into your story. Yeah, so we wanted to call it Jarvis, and we asked our lawyers about it, and they kind of did a search. And you know, we we obviously knew about Jarvis, the you know robot uh, that Tony Stark or the I guess AI that Tony Stark had built, and you know, we were obviously drafting off of that a bit. And yet when we kind of looked at the trademarks, you know, really the, really the issue is not, you know, it's not that you can't like name something, what something else is already named. It kind of the burden comes down to our customers getting confused about who owns what. And so really the burden would come down to our customers coming to us and signing up for Jarvis, thinking it's a Marvel product and thinking that Marvel owns it and runs it. And that maybe Marvel is kind of, you know, there's brand confusion around the two. And I would contend that that has never happened. Nobody thinks that we are Marvel. Nobody thinks we are Disney. And that has never happened. Nevertheless, you know, as we kind of grew and became much bigger than we ever thought possible, um, we got a letter from Marvel um, saying nicely, but very, very firmly that we will destroy you if, uh, <laughs> if you don't change Sorry. your name. Here's a list of companies much bigger than you that have changed the name away from Jarvis, you know, before. And, uh, you know, we have 400 lawyers just waiting to go to bat here. Uh, and so, yeah, so, you know, I think I, I, I was like knew that was a potential issue and, you know, going into it, we kind of thought either a we'll fight this, you know, whenever it comes or, um, you know, B, we'll just kind of figure it out later and, you know, we'll change our name later. Uh, and it came and I read the letter and I thought about it and we had like nine people at the time, you know, and I was just like, you know, I think we've got a decent case here, but like these people live for this and like, what's the opportunity cost of me spending like the next year thinking about like fighting Marvel? Uh, it's pretty high. And, uh, and that's really not what we're in the business then. So we, uh, we ended up deciding to change our name uh, to Jasper. Uh, away from Jarvis to uh, to satisfy all the army of uh, IP lawyers over at Disney. Yeah, so my I like to just jokingly say you managed to piss Iron Man off, and uh, you know it's funny because you're right. It's just it's such a far reach you think, but in the end, what a wise way to approach it, which is just like ugh, you know this is annoying. It shouldn't be the case, but 
what's the cost of going through this fight? And quite frankly, in two months, no one's going to care, remember. And it's, I don't think, I mean, did you guys see, did you lose members because of this or? No, you know, I mean, there's probably like a little bit of brand equity you lose, or at least have to kind of re reframe, you know, we, we probably lost some like SEO juice, you know, it's kind of built up all this stuff around Jarvis and, you know, so you lose some of that, but actually, I mean, I don't even know if you know this, we launched a year ago as conversion.ai. No, so, I know that. Yes, this is, yeah, the third, I, I, this is the third thing. And it's like, you know, I don't know. It's still, we're still a year in, you know, it's not like this is like some 10-year company and we've got all this stuff. Like, it's still a pretty good time to shift. Did you see the Facebook post where someone was like, who's taking bets till the fourth rebrand of Jasper? And I was like, you know what? That That's cool when you've got users that love you so much that they can poke some fun too and have a good time. And you've built a great community in there, which is nice to see is that people help each other, but people... They knock on each other, they get excited, they buy merchandise. I mean, I I think I posted, do you remember? I genuinely saw a guy at a park, a national park, walk by with a shirt for copy.ai. And I looked over at my family, I was walking with, I said, I really feel like I should go pick a fight with this guy and just be like, you know, screw you and your stupid software. I, I come from I come from conversion.ai. So um so really cool, Dave. You know, you've done a lot before we were talking, you kind of mentioned your start and how you've come. So maybe tell the audience where, when, how you got started. And I want to talk about the progression that led to Jasper. And and I really want to talk about the mindset behind that post you made, which was like, done deal, everyone should have a SaaS because it's a small post, short post, but I there's probably so much emotion, calculation, logic behind that statement. I want to get into all of that, but do tell us your story. Where does Dave come from? Yeah, I mean, I started with, I've got two co-founders. One's our CTO and an engineer, and the other one's, um, you know, runs all of our like people operations and is kind of, a, you know, another non-technical person. I'm not, I'm not an engineer. Um, you know, we started a marketing agency like eight years ago, uh, just that was our very first company. We didn't know what the heck we were doing. Basically, we would sell like a consulting agreement to like a dentist office. Like we'll run your Facebook ads, we'll charge you fifteen hundred bucks a month, and then we would go find other people that could run Facebook ads but didn't want to go land the clients, and we would hire them to kind of fulfill it. So they, we would sell for fifteen hundred bucks a month. We'd split the cost. We'd pay out seven hundred fifty bucks a month, and that was our like first ever business. And as we built that up, we got to about like. $25,000 a month of, of like monthly revenue. And one day, JP, one of my co-founders, I knew was like technical, but I didn't like really know kind of like what his like engineering chops were. He, uh, he, he basically showed me this new app called PayFunnels that I was supposed to use to go like get paid by our clients and just send them a little link and it charges their card and all that. Uh, I find out like a couple of days later that he had built pay funnels over the weekend and it was just like, it's like a little tool. And he was kind of like, you know, embarrassed by, it. he wasn't, he's a humble guy. So he wasn't taking credit. And so, uh, that was kind of like a little aha moment where I was like, dude, like you can build software. Like that's really cool. And so out of our like pain point in the agency days, we, uh, we scratched our niche and built a little bit of software, which I think is like a really good theme in our story and, and maybe even a lot of my message here is like you know what's the what's the little the little pain point that you're experiencing that you're kind of uniquely positioned to solve um you know fast forward a little bit we ended up letting go of all of our agency clients because operating an agency is very hard i respect anyone that can do it successfully because it is just an operational beast 
Um, and we decided to kind of get into courses and coaching and info and um, really kind of start to scale up like a productized service. So we went from teaching or we went from doing marketing services for people to productizing that and then teaching how to do that. Uh, and again, I think that's another good principle, you know, in our story is kind of like, how do you kind of productize what you're doing even more? So I ended up scaling that and selling a bunch of courses on webinars and how to do Facebook ads, how to grow an agency and, you know, all of that stuff. And as people signed up for our agency course, they were like, well, how do I sign clients? And we were like, oh, you could use pay funnels. Like, you know, we're not really trying to build some software, but like, we got this thing. Like, oh yeah, we'd love to use pay funnels. We ended up kind of like turning it into like a little bit more of a product people could sign up for. And we built that up to about a hundred or no, so about $10,000 of monthly recurring revenue, kind of without even really thinking about it. It was just kind of JP's thing. He'd kind of do on the weekends. And uh, it was just like a little like add on in our funnel. And we built that up and, you know, we we're starting to get kind of tired of like selling courses. We felt like it, we were doing incredible marketing, building great funnels. And it was just kind of hard to still eke out a good profit with it because, you know, you know this, like inevitably like, your course gets commoditized pretty quickly and, you know, kind of gets out on the internet everywhere. And there's just, there was like no defensibility. It was all just great marketing and like brand it was kind of all you had. And so um, we basically got this idea for proof, which is our, our next software product that is just like a little widget that pops up on your website and says how many people have bought in the last 24 hours or, um, you know, Jimmy from Oakland just purchased this um, or just downloaded this lead magnet two minutes ago. And, and we thought this is working like some e-commerce sites, but like we really could use this for our own funnel, just like help us get an edge. And so, um, you know, we quickly decided we wanted to build this product. We, we built it, we pre-sold it. And we had, I don't know, maybe 80 people pay for a year up front. Um, that was kind of out of our like course and coaching clients. And we thought, man, this is really something, you know, like we've got, this is like a little bit more defensible. It's a little bit harder for somebody else to go and copy this. And if we kind of roll this thing out, you know, we'll kind of be moving into like being a software company instead of a, a course and coaching company. And so we launched that and we, we knew we needed like a little bit more cash up front. And it's like a big question I think people have. It's like, well, how do I kind of get the cash to develop software? So we ended up selling pay funnels, um, which was the first time ever like selling a company. And I think it was a real eye opener for me because PayFunnels was doing, you know, 10 grand a month, which is not a lot, but we were able to sell it for, you know, mid to low six figures and pull forward the next two and a half years of profit to use today to deploy. And you can't do that very easily with a coaching business. You can't do that very easily with an agency. And so I just think people forget that a real business is, a, is an asset that can be sold. And, and I've had these other coaching businesses where, or, co or agencies where just kind of, they would just kind of dissolve whenever I got tired of working on them. And they would just end up poofing into thin air. And it's like, that's like, that could be 25 months of revenue or profit up ahead. That's just kind of dissolving into thin air. And I was like, man, this is like, that, that was a light bulb moment for me. And it sounds obvious looking back, but I just didn't really think about that. That like a $10,000 a month course business is worth a lot less than $10,000 a month software business. So we sold that and we kind of used all that to plow into proof. And, you know, and again, this is maybe the third iteration where we tried to productize the course that we were teaching. So we're kind of teaching you how to run ads, 
increase conversion rate on your website, make your funnel work. And then we just kind of said, well, instead of teaching you or instead of doing it for you, why don't you just download this software and the software will do the work for you day and night. Uh, and so really, we, we, I feel like we've been selling the same solution or the same, you know, scratching the same itch for the last eight years with a bunch of different businesses that get more and more productized and like better and better as we go here. Um, and I think it was with Proof. Proof kind of took off. And that was kind of when we decided, hey, like we're going to be software people now. And then again, we can talk about like why I like software more than this other stuff there. Um, but yeah, that was kind of what led up, you know, to, to launching, you know, Jasper. I said Jasper is like another evolution. You know, we ran Proof for a couple of years and then had the idea for Jasper to use AI to write content um, for people because, you know, we were struggling with it and, um, you know, people just want to write better content. Uh, and Jasper was like a technical solution that could just make that far, far easier for you. So uh, again, we've been working together for a long time. I feel like we've just been solving the same problem in various ways and in like better and better ways the whole time. You know, it's, it's um, as you talk about it, some things come to my mind, which is you, you said something, you said, it sounds so simple now, but I back you up on that, man. It, it, it isn't. It, it takes, you have to go through the entrepreneurial journey to realize that you can build a company um, that's going to have immense value at some point or that's going to have no value and it takes the same amount of effort or energy because you're still putting the same amount of hours in, you're still doing pretty much doing the same types of things. It's just that if you're going to build a company that's going to have a ton of value later, typically there are some givings you have to do today. So I've always used this example of a value business versus a cash business, right? So income business, I call it income business versus value business. If you're building something that's purely income driven, it probably doesn't have very much so value. So the minute you stop doing it, the income goes away. But if you're building a value business, it's probably not going to spit out a ton of income early on because it needs you to reinvest into it. But hopefully at some point it's going to have a ridiculous amount of value to it. So I was um, on the phone the other day with uh, Josh Snow and Lo Silva. These guys are like big e-commerce people. And they said something super interesting that no one ever out there would say. They're like, sometimes we wonder if it's really even worth building seven, eight, nine figure e-com stores. Um, that are brands, direct-to-consumer brands. And these guys, that's what they do. That's what they're great at. But they're so open and honest. And um, I had Los on the on a, on a podcast too, and he said the same thing. He's like, because the thing is, you're never going to make any money while you're building it. Because the bigger your store gets, the more inventory you have to buy, the more you spend. The bigger it gets, the more you spend. He goes, the only time you make it is at the end when you sell it. So same thing, right? You're letting go of that income, building up value. And now, as I've come around the block, and this is a big reason why I want to have this podcast with you, is the realization I had is, I I am totally cool with that. I want to build for a value. A business is an asset. It, it, there's really no reason to fall in love with it. It's it's an asset. And when you do fall in love with it, you might start to make mistakes as to how you manage it and run it. And so where I am arrived now is that um, I just know the difference. So if there's a business, then if it's an income business, it's that. Don't you know? And there. But I've tried for the longest time with Learn, and I'm well. I've tried to do both. It doesn't work. You gotta pick. It just doesn't work. It's, it's It makes everyone's lives complicated, confusing. So I don't know, my little rant, just to kind of back up what you're saying. Um, I, just, I don't know, I have a random unconnected question, Dave. This is like my own curiosity. How old are you? I'm 32. You're 32, that's incredible because of the journey you've had. That's what I figured. I'm like, you've been through a lot. You've like started all these different companies, but you must be pretty young. Um, What's your role 
at Jasper or at Proof? You talked about how you have a CTO and you have an operational person. So who's Dave? What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I'm the CEO. I think ultimately comes down to like, I'm the one responsible for just making sure the company is successful. Um, all of year one, we tried to keep things very small, very lean. We didn't hire anybody. You know, we only had nine people um, 12 months in. We only had, you know, two engineers. We just kind of kept everything like super lean. And we got like, we got, frankly, we got like very, very profitable, very cash flow positive, which I think people think is impossible with software and, and certainly harder to do, but we got very profitable. Um, and then we realized like, we've got something very special here. Let's go for it. And I think our mindset shifted from like, let's build a business where we just kind of take out a bunch of profit, do a bunch of distributions and do all of that. Uh, we want to go IPO in three years. You know, we want to build a really big industry defining iconic company here and, and feel like we've got an opportunity to do that. I don't think that's guaranteed. And it's, I think that's really hard. You know, I feel like we've got an opportunity to do that. So, you know, in the last 45 days, we've gone from nine people to 30 people. We want to get to like a hundred people, you know, by the end of the year, have a big engineering team. We're hiring some like great execs from, from some other public companies right now to help us go and do all of this. And so, you know, my role has shifted from like, I think I, you know, last year I was about helping make sure that we have the right product and helping like make sure our community is like really engaged to where I'm spending a lot more time just recruiting and bringing in great talent to go and help us scale. Um, but then also just, thinking about how to like build a company that people like want to work at and, and it retains talent well and, and helps scale. So my job has definitely shifted a ton. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that's what I love about it. I just love being able to do something new every single day. So, I mean, right now, would you say your marketing is also part of your gig or really, cause you focused heavily on the people aspect. So recruiting, which by the way, going from, I've done this going from nine to 30 is so huge. people say like, wow, congrats. It's like, well, yeah, it's, just, it's tough. It is super tough because a culture changes, right? Nine versus a culture supports 30 is fundamentally completely different. And then from 30, once you cross that 50, 60, it's again different. Then when you cross a hundred, it's again different. And you have to evolve every time you have to build all kinds of and, th and then the bigger the team, the more operational structure for that team, you know, you have HR and you have culture and it, it's tough. It, it, it needs someone full-time watching over it. So I hear that part of your job. Would you say marketing is also a part of your job or does that go elsewhere? I think for the first eight months, marketing was a lot of it. And I, I certainly consider myself a marketer. That's my background for sure. Um, we've got a great head of marketing, Austin Distal, that, you know, really runs it all now. And I actually don't think a lot about marketing. I maybe do from like a high level of just kind of like what kind of channel should we be in and like, what's the budget kind of all of that. But like, I really don't do, I don't really don't think about marketing at all right now, yeah. which is kind of which is new. I think, I think that's the part I really envy about your story. And I want to get into is kind of one of the mistakes that I've made. If I, if I, so I, I actually said this year, I was going to write myself a little book a short little book, which is like, cause I'm hitting 20 years of being an entrepreneur this year. And it's like, what are some lessons? And I think the biggest lesson is I, I just do too much. I leave too many things on my plate and I've been ineffective as a CEO because of that. A CEO actually is exactly the job you described. They don't think about any of those things. They think about people, team, retention, and public like messaging. 
that's that's like all they think about, right? And because and, and the CEO's real true job is to bring the right talent in and let that talent do what they do, support them, lead them, guide them. And I just have not been able to properly, it, like the, the light bulb really went on for me last year when I did bring some brilliant people in and I got out of their way and I was like, oh, wow, what, like, shoot, you know? So I want to talk to you about that because something you had also said to me once was, um, and I remember this, so you'll, you'll know, I pay attention, man, when we talk, like you had said, make sure your co-founder is a technical person. I, I honestly can't, I can't put up a website that says the word hello. I don't know anything. I can't map a domain name to a server. I don't understand crap about technology till this day. So I do want to get into that too. But here's one question that really sticks out at me. Um, you said when you guys were doing courses, you had the idea for proof. You had the idea for Jasper. Can you walk me through how you get this idea? Because I know a lot of people listening right now are like, I want to do a SaaS. What do I do? So like, how, how does someone come up with an idea for a SaaS? Yeah. So, okay. Proof specifically, you know, we were running just our marketing business, trying to optimize our funnels, trying to increase it. We had a friend that was running an e-commerce store that we were helping her do her marketing, just kind of get it set up. And it was on Shopify. One of the apps that we installed as we were just kind of setting that up was a little thing like proof that was just for Shopify. And it just hooked into your Shopify store and showed how many people bought, you know, it was like a little widget. We put that on, we ran an AB test and it worked. Her sales went up, you know, some percentage, I forget. And we just thought that's awesome. That was easy. Like what a cool little app, you know? And then it was just, Oh, let's put this on our funnel. There's gotta be something like that. Um, and we just searched and there wasn't anything like that. There wasn't anything that kind of did what we wanted to do. And we, we had seen it work. We had enough knowledge and experience in marketing to think this would probably work. Like, you know, we kind of understand the psychology of it. Um, and if we can, if we have this, we'll have a little bit of an edge, you know, of our customers uh, or of our competitors. Uh, and so there wasn't anything like that. And so just JP, my co-founder and, you know, another software engineer or a software engineer just built like a super simple version over the weekend again. It's kind of the, our story. It's like, you know, if it can't be built over a weekend, uh, don't, don't build it. Um, and then we just put it on our, on our funnel and just ran an A-B test and saw that it worked. And so I think for us, the lesson has always been solve a problem that's fairly related to like what we're already doing and, and scratches and itch for a pain point that like we're already feeling personally. Try to like, try to solve our own pain and try to do it in a very, 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 very simple way for a first version. You know, you want to get, you want to get the first version out and like under a month, ideally under a few weeks, you know, and just kind of test from that. I think that's something that people, as they're kind of getting into software, they just over-engineer the heck out of everything. And they think of that, all this cool stuff, like you should be so embarrassed of your first product that you launch. Uh, and if you're not embarrassed by it, you know, you've spent too much time on it. Uh, and so even for us, when we first launched Preview, again, we tested it on our own site. And then we were like, well, we need to test this on some other friend's site. So I had some other friends in the industry that were like running funnels and I just messaged them and said, hey, you know, can I just install this thing like on your website and run an A-B test for you? And can we just like see how it goes? And so there wasn't even like a way to log in. There was no, none of that. Like JP, our co-founder just had to go like manually like hack it onto their site using some JavaScript. Uh, and then, you know, run it, run the test and see how it went there. So it was always like very like iterative, very slow, very like 
scrappy, uh, not polished at all, but we were always just scratching our own itch in some very simple way. So then what about Jasper? What was, uh, how did that kind of come about? Jasper, I mean, it was, it was kind of the same thing. We, we were, we were kind of, I mean, proof had basically flatlined and, and we tried to grow and it was growing about three, 4% a month, which is, I mean, frankly, a good percentage, but you know, we had had some investor money we were trying to be like a venture backed company. And so it just like, wasn't really, we kind of got to the point where like, we knew this is not going to take off. Uh, and so we actually did some layoffs about 18 months ago. And, and that kind of gave us the freedom to start looking around at like what else was out there. I had seen this new AI technology that could write content pretty well. And as a marketer, you know, I'm skeptical of it. Um, but I was like, I started playing around with it. Just like, yeah, like this, let's see what this thing is. Is it cool? And I was like, that's pretty good. Like, uh, you know, very raw, but like pretty good. And I was like, I just knew if I thought it was good and I thought it would help me write ads, uh, I knew a ton of other people would as well. Uh, and so same thing, we kind of just like took that and I went to JP and I was like, Hey, like, you know, here's this idea. We kind of hashed it out, you know, a little bit. And I was like, I just need you to like build a super simple app that again, is pretty embarrassing. Doesn't have like password reset. We had no ability to cancel. We didn't have like anything. Basically you just like logged in and like, it, like wrote some like basic Facebook ads and Google ads. Um, took it out to some people, people loved it. And we kind of started to scale it from there. But like the first version was like very scrappy. And again, it was solving our own pain. I was, I was running a course on, on how to like run Facebook ads for B2B SaaS companies. And I'm like writing ads a lot. And I was like, I've got this framework. It'd be nice to just have that automated and like help me, uh, you know, do this faster and, and help my customers do it faster there. Um, so it really came out of scratch in the same itch as well, but with the mindset around like what technology is out there that could help us do this. Got it. So you, so the, the two difference, well, actually both have one commonality is that it wasn't really like you're ingenious. You're up at three in the morning and you're like, I envisioned this world where there is, you, you saw something being done. It triggered something. You, you were able to see it, feel it, touch it, use it. And you just said, I can do this better or I can do it for this market. So proof was like, Oh, there's this cool app, but it's only for Shopify people. But like 95% of the world does not use Shopify. So I can write something that they can use. And with the AI copywriting software, most people would come out and say, well, that already exists now because you saw one and you're like, yeah, it exists, but they're going after this market. I can tweak it, do this, do this, and I can go after this market. And so what's interesting and what makes me think as you're talking is like, what are some problems I have that I currently seek solutions from, from applets? And I, and I wrote down here a note as like, go to Shopify. Like I don't use Shopify much, but like go look around Shopify's apps, you know, call, I have a lot of friends that use the crap out of Shopify. So I should ask them like, what are the top 10 apps that you'd like would die without on Shopify? And then maybe there was someone, something there to reverse engineer and say, how do you bring that service to non Shopify? Um, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, just kind of a good place to look. Yeah, it would be like Shopify and just see like, what are like simple little products that like, you know, seem kind of easy to build. I know that can be hard to judge without being an engineer, like, you know, what's hard to build, what's easy to build. But like, I'm not an engineer either. You know, you kind of just guess like, there like doesn't look like to be a lot going on here. Um, find like Chrome extensions that have like a lot of users that are like, you know, using it, but it's like pretty simple. Like, I think that's a, a good place to start. I think looking at like product hunt, is a good place that you kind of look and you're like, okay, cool. This is like a pretty exciting product with like a lot of upvotes, you know, that people seem to like, and it seems like pretty simple. Product hunt. I didn't know about product that. Hunt .com. 
Oh, you'll you'll love it. It's basically just like they just launch you know new products all day, all the time. Every single day, there's like a bunch of new products launching on there, and they kind of get feedback and upvote and all of that. Um, so I think I think I think you're right. Like I'm not Steve Jobs uh, inventing new things out of thin air. Um, obviously, with Jasper, like it is fairly like revolutionary and like fairly new, and I think that's important to have like something new you just don't want to be a commodity you don't want to be like fifth to the market you want to be like first or second or maybe maybe third if you can kind of out execute um but mostly i'm taking things and repositioning them for an audience that i know needs that mm. and i'm going to speak to that audience and i'm going to really market to that audience there and, and i just think i think software has evolved a lot in 30 years and i think building a product used to be very, very hard. And that was the moat. If you could just build a product, you know, we're talking like whatever, like Salesforce version one, like, you know, like products that were like coming out, you know, early 2000s. If you could just figure out how to get that out the door, I mean, because you had to have like server racks in your back office and like, you know, there's not many engineers, like that was a moat, but like software's gotten way easier to build now. And I think for people like you, and this is this is what a lot of my post was about was I think, and I think I might've even said, if you're like an influencer or like somebody like that, you should be in SaaS because like the moat around building software is far lower than it's ever been, which puts a lot more onus on distribution. And, and if you know how to distribute, you can go and blow up software products very quickly and get them out into the market just because of, you know what you do. There's so much there I want to unpack because you're right. Man, I can market anything. It's my opinion. I love marketing. And I, the reason I can market anything is because I love marketing and, and I enjoy it. So I've, I've participated. I've helped my car detailer get more business by applying some internet marketing strategies. I've helped landscaping companies. I've helped, you know, I think that even though I end up helping them in ways I never use in my own company, it's just like I, I can, my brain works that way. Just like if you show a coder, Hey, I want to get this done. They're, they're immediately thinking like, oh, you know, A plus B equals C plus, you know, that's, this is the language. But what you said, which is, I want to unpack, maybe you can reset my mind. When I look at anything code, when I look at SaaS, I look at technology, I see Mount Everest. I see it's hard lately, you know, you want to get a semi-decent coder to work for you. It's 150, 170 grand. And it's only three months until Facebook's knocking. Well, maybe not Facebook now, but one of the other companies is knocking down their doors to rip them out from you. I just have all this like baggage, I think, that makes it. And then I know that what we built, one of the tools that we built, it's just gotten so cumbersome and so complicated. And we go back and look at it. It's like, well, it's because it never had the right framework from the day one. It never had the right idea. You know, you didn't, it went through so many iterations and now it's become this complex thing. It just scares me. So you say, you see something, it's simple, it's easy. Talk me through that. Like, what is the approach that I'm missing? And this is what most people listening right now think. They hear develop a SaaS and they think, I need millions of dollars, lots of people. I don't I have to be technical and they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is based off my experience. And I think the data proves this out that really have a much higher chance of success. If you have a technical co-founder, that's really good. And I think as I've talked to marketers, you know, people that have good businesses and make a lot of money and, you know, like 
they want to outsource this to an agency or kind of try to go cheap on it or offer a little bit of equity for somebody. But like you really need a really great engineer. And I think you need them to be have a ton of skin in the game from an equity perspective. So, you know, again, I'm fortunate to just have one of my good friends be a great engineer. And so I haven't actually had to deal with a lot of the like pain of software development. Um, as an example, I was talking to a friend, I don't know, maybe a year ago, he runs a big YouTube coaching business. Do you know, uh, Alric? No. Alric Keck? Okay. Big YouTube coaching business doing, I don't know, million dollars a month or more. And I was like, dude, like you've got the distribution, like you've got this audience, you're solving this pain around like, you know, how to run YouTube ads. And, um, you know, one of my friends and like former, he used to work with us. He was a great engineer. You know, he just likes coding products, but he was always building products, putting them on product time. They would never go anywhere because he has no idea how to go to market on it. And he would say that I have no idea how to get users. I was like, let me just connect you guys. So I kind of connected them over text. It's like, Hey, like you guys should build a company together and go solve some pain that you're like, you know, YouTube coaching clients are, are like experiencing here. Uh, and you know, at first Alric didn't really want to like give a lot of equity, you know, cause like, well, I've got this business, you know, why would I do that? And I was like, listen, you just want the tech taken care of. And there's a bunch of engineers out there that will do it. that don't know how to build companies, but are great engineers, but like, give them some good skin in the game. And so, you know, I recommend people give a technical co-founder, you know, 30 to 50% equity. And it's like, well, like if the business doesn't work. Like you're not going to get a percentage of anything. It's going to be, you're going to own 70% or 90% of zero. So it's like, it just needs to work. It's like, give them, give them a lot. There's a lot to do there. Um, but I think like, yeah, you're just flying blind. If you don't have a great technical leader, like on the, on the inside, like wholly aligned with like what, the company is doing. Um, and so that's kind of how I recommend it. You know, I, I think you just have to have a, a co-founder that's going to work with you on the inside and feel a ton of skin in the game. And frankly, I think there's a lot of engineers out there that would gladly partner with people that are like, know how to market, have an audience, know how to go to market and just be thrilled at that because it's like, it's like guaranteed to work pretty much. It's guaranteed to be something. Now yeah. it may not be the biggest company, but like it's guaranteed to be something it's guaranteed to work and get to, you know, 10 grand a month or 50 grand a month or hundred grand a month. It's like, if you can get a SaaS company to hundred grand a month, like that's worth, I don't know, you know, $4 million, you know, yeah. $3 million. It's like, that's not that much money to go. It's not that much MRR to get to, uh, if you've got a good team. And so that's the part that's so interesting. I want to break that those financials down a little bit for everybody because they're important. So MRR is monthly. It's kind of your monthly rebuild rate. <clears throat> so if you have a thousand customers paying you a hundred thousand dollars a month, uh, sorry, hundred dollars a month. Uh, I wish that would be amazing. Thousand customers paying you a hundred thousand a month. That'll have a lot of value, I promise. But so thousand customers paying you a hundred dollars a month. That's a hundred thousand dollars a month. And when you build a SaaS there's a term called EBITDA, which is like your actual earnings, like, like that's your profit. I'm not going to say it's not important, but it's kind of not important in the early days. Like your valuations and what someone's willing to pay for you is driven by your revenue. 
And, and that's the only class of business that I've ever seen that in. Everything else, your valuation is driven by your EBITDA, which is your earnings before interest and tax or whatever. So $100,000 a month means you have a $1.2 million a year business. And what Dave just said is that that's going to have 3 million, I actually think would be very, like, that's a good, like, that's an easy argument, right? Um, four or 5 million. There are, I mean, there are arguments to be had that say up to 10 million, depending on what you built and the growth rate it's achieving. SaaS will get 10 times revenue valuations. I mean, there's been some that are even crazier, 20. That just gets out into the crazy world. But anywhere from like three to seven X of that revenue. And what Dave, what you're saying is, I love it. You're like, hey, get it right people, build something, get it to the market, sell it. I mean, that in itself could be like a business model, uh, especially if you have that team. I wanna pull this thread a little bit further because I know you said you were you were fortunate. I, I have to look, I'm sure I do, but I just haven't really thought about having someone that I'm good friends with who I really feel like would represent me. You know, a lot of engineers I run into are also have been, and I don't mean to say this disrespectfully in any way to anybody, so please don't take it the wrong way. I just don't know a better word. It's like, I, I will say have been tainted or negatively influenced or influenced in ways not aligned with my thoughts on development, I guess. So like how you said, build it over the weekend. So many engineers that come from the Microsofts and the, you, you give them a little tool, they're like three months. We need 15 ideation sessions, three product people, two engineers, front end, back end, full stack. I need a designer, UX expert. And it just makes you go, holy crap, dude, I, just, I don't even want to do it, right? So have you found a particular type of engineer and is there a place they hang out? Is there some forum I can join? Is there some, you know, where do you find these people? Yeah, so you want a full stack engineer. You want someone that by themselves can design and build the front end and build the back end, you know, for a product, basically get an entire product out the door by themselves. Now that's kind of ideally who you're finding somebody who's done it before. And there's a lot of these engineers that have built these little side projects, little side hustles. They don't really go anywhere. They buy the domain, they launch the site, they kind of talk about it on a couple of forums or something, but they don't really go anywhere. These people exist. There's a lot of them. A lot of them call themselves indie hackers. Indie hackers is kind of this name of, of these engineers that kind of hack it away. And they kind of, you know, they build, they build pretty good products actually, but they have no idea how to take them to market. One place they post on a lot is Product Hunt. That's kind of where, you know, a lot of these indie hackers kind of say, oh, that's where I'm going to go like launch and, and go to Product Hunt. So what is Product Hunt? Is this like, it's literally someone made a product and they're selling it? They're like, you take it? What, what is Product Hunt? No, it's basically, a, it's basically like a marketplace. So like every day, these indie hackers or just software companies will launch new products on there. And then everyone upvotes them like for a given day. And you try to get to like be the number one product of the day on product time. And the next day there's a bunch more products. And so it's just like a bunch of like new products coming out every day. And like, Again, if Jasper launched on product hunt, like, I don't know, whatever, a couple months in, we kind of just like put it up on product hunt. They drive a lot of traffic. They drive a lot of like conversation around it. So yeah, producthunt.com. You'll see a lot of these people just posting on there. Um, but like, they don't know how to do like marketing past that. Uh, and, and they would gladly partner up with somebody that knows distribution uh, because that is a, a something that they can't even fathom like how to do. So you're even saying there is a possibility 
of reaching out to one of those companies and, and becoming a part of their team and asking for equity to bring distribution to their channel. Oh, you could do that. Okay. I think you could do that for sure. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, like, and again, speaking about you, like you for sure could do that. And I've just thought, I've thought like in a future life, I'm just going to connect developers to marketing influencers that know how to market, have a great audience and just like match make them because like all of those will be like easy businesses. I also think like acquiring these like little companies is like a, a pretty good idea. Um, I think you look on product hunt for companies, maybe even like companies that launched a year ago and haven't really done a lot since then, you know, so they've kind of had their like time in the sun. They kind of maybe lost some optimism and they're like, okay, like this isn't like, isn't really going anywhere. I'd love to kind of like sell or partner with somebody then. Um, they're good products. They're good engineers. They just don't know how to, how to sell and how to take. Is there, is there an easy way on product hunt to find companies that were, winners a year ago or is there like some filtering yeah yeah you can just go back through each of the archives and just look at the top and you can see i mean they're kind of all they all get upvoted so you, and you can see all the upvotes so you can see on any given day the exact order of companies that like got upvoted and were exciting and whatnot there um and then most of these people on twitter i mean tech people hang out on twitter you know they, they don't hang out on facebook nearly as much as like maybe like the marketing crew does so it's like you go to twitter and you just search for them and like, you know, we bought two SaaS companies last year just by like messaging them on Twitter and just building a relationship with these guys. And I'd say the companies that we bought were good examples of this. They were solo founders. They had built the entire company just themselves. They just like coding. They like designing. They're just indie hackers. And they didn't want to build a real company. I mean, they, they just, they took it as far as they like wanted to. And now they were having all these customers and customer support headaches. And they were just like, I don't want to like go hire a team. I just like coding. I just like building. That's what I'm good at. Um, and so, so they sold it to us to kind of, cause I was like, well, that's great. We'll take it the rest of the way here. Um, so I think there's more of these people. You just got to kind of go find out, you know, and hang out in the circles that they're hanging out in, which I think is, is Twitter generally. Yeah. Well, listen, if you do decide to start connecting developers and marketers, get me high on that list. Cause, uh, that's that's a thing. It's I just want everyone watching to it's not just any old developer. I have good friends that are very good developers, but they would not be right for this um, because they have to be kind of that all in one machine. They have to be the guys that the, the the guys or gals that get addicted to it and are up until three in the morning on a Saturday night, you know, chugging a coke, having a Twix bar. But they're like they're not going to go to bed until that thing is working. Um, and that, they got to be able to do the full thing. They got to be able to do the yeah. full thing, I think, is really who you're looking at. They don't have to do it all great. I mean, it doesn't have to be like eventually all specialists that are better at all of that in the, any individual piece, you know, than, than the first person is. But I think you got to find that first person that can just kind of do it all uh, uh, well enough. And they may not necessarily even be your eventual CTO or VP of engineering, right? Because some of them may not evolve into, they may not be people managers, they may not be good at all of that. Did you find that in your side, JP, I think you've mentioned, did you find that he just happened to be like ready to grow to that role, lead people, manage people and, and, and all of that? No, we found out that he doesn't like managing people and started to like really stress him out and hate it. And, and I think he could have done it. I mean, he's very capable, like, you know, he's a, he's a good dude, but just like, was like, I don't even like doing this at all. So yeah. even with Jasper now, we're hiring a VP of engineering to come in and like build out the whole engineering team. And he's going to kind of like be like running special projects on the side and kind of just like doing what he does best. Um, but yeah, he's not gonna do the people side of thing. So 
this is such an interesting conversation. It's going in a different direction, but I'll, I'll take it because um, that's a big point. People don't realize this, that when you create a team in the beginning, it's good for that moment. But once you reach a certain point, it might need evolution changes. Egos can get in the way. And what I have found is that actually both parties, the company and the person, will be so much better off if they figure out what they really want to do and what they're really good at. And they just do a lot of it. And collectively, the tide will rise. The all boats will rise. Like one thing I can say is I'm not really a big fan of being the operational side of a CEO. This is where I've come to learn I'm doing too much because right now I'm really CEO and COO. And so and I and I think the COO part for me is what makes me get up in the morning and go, oh, because I look at my calendar. I got calls. I got one on ones. I got quarterly connects. I got and that stuff suffocates my creativity, which is where I bring the value to the company. I need to be left alone to interview people like Dave and to see what's out in the world and go seek that opportunity and go get into it and clear my schedule. And and so what I am doing now you know, in my life is I am specifically building and I let go of it. I, I don't care if my time, actually, you know what? I don't even know if I want my title on the company as a CEO. Like I want to be the guy in the, like just creating, I want to be left alone. Yeah, you be co-founder you just do whatever you yeah. want to do and or founder, you know, it's just like, you're just. I always, I always told Jimmy, my favorite business was Sendlane because I was a silent co-founder. I didn't have a job there, but I can, participate in strategically help. And my biggest help for Sendlane was always in the beginning when it first got started for exactly what you said, distribution. I had audience, I teach email marketing. We built an email platform. What better, you know, combo could there be? So, but after that, it was like, hey, I'm 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 here for the ride and I'm helping whenever I can. But, you know, and 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 Jimmy and I, we used to work together. So we actually he used to work for me at Learn. He's 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 an operational guy. He is an integrator. He loves that stuff. And so perfect for him to be running that. It's just not me. But everyone who's listening, like, what are you? Who are you? Where is your role in this? Like, drop the ego for a minute and just be true to what you think you can bring to that team. But there is a team involved. I, Dave, you're 100% right. I'm that guy, Dave, by the way, that holds on to equity and is like, I don't want to give anything anywhere. And I'm realizing now, heck with that, man. Like, if you can find those people, give them great equity. You can do three, four times as much together and make up for that third you gave them or whatever. Like it'll just- uh, Yeah, the pie, the pie gets so much bigger. And again, I'd say this maybe descriptively about my journey. You know, I'm not saying this is always the case, but like we have shared a lot of equity over the years and I don't regret any of it. And I have had friends- that run our software companies have been very stingy with it. I don't know if it's stingy, just more careful with it Cautious, and to keep yeah. it all. And there's just, they just move way slower and their pie is smaller. And, you know, I just think the pie gets really big when you get great people incentivized about like the long-term outcome. And uh, I mean, you know, just the pie has just been, it's just, it just gets so big so fast when you get people moving in the same direction there. So I think it's a really tough thing to learn and it's not right all the time, but it's certainly been a huge driver of success for us. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, so everyone, I'm going to wrap this up a little bit. I'm going to go actually do some hunting. So Dave, with your permission, I'm going to, you know, in the next few weeks, I'm going to send you some ideas. I'd love to get your, you know, kind of yeah. your jive on. I'm going to go look at product hunt. I'm going to go look around the world and see what's, what's out there and what can get me excited. Cause I do think in the next year or two, like I, I would like to get a, get a SAS out there. If nothing else, 
the curiosity of having not built a SaaS yet personally, um, kind of want to scratch that itch, but let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about, um, so for everyone who's listening, remember what he just said, we talked about where do you get your ideas? Well, look at your own problems. Look at what you're struggling with. Producthunt.com, Shopify's app store, go look around to see what people are doing. It doesn't have to be your unique idea, but try not to be the fifth or sixth person doing it. Um, don't go launch an email autoresponder company now. I'm telling you from someone who had launched one, it, there's a lot of them out there. This is hard. It's, 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 it, there's a better solution. There's something different out there for you. Uh, but you don't have to be the first and you don't have to be the innovator. You don't have to be the Steve Jobs. It's a big misconception. Producthunt.com was one domain I took away today that I did not know about that I will look into a lot. Um, Indie hackers, great term, full stack engineer. Get yourself a, if you're not technical, get yourself a technical co-founder. If you are technical, get yourself a non-technical co-founder um, is kind of the big takeaway here too. All right, let's get into the marketing. Um, zero to 50,000 in a year. Do you believe, and I mean this genuinely, if you've hit a SaaS that really is just, you hit the right pain point, it'll just take off on its own. Would you say Jasper was just like, oh, I said, hello, everybody, here's Jasper, and it just went boom, boom, right? Or was there active marketing you did? How did you get from zero to 50,000 so fast? So I think Jasper was a great product solving a very, very specific problem. Again, just to like Google ads and Facebook ads. You know, we were, we were sitting on six or seven years of building an audience that wanted to learn marketing from us, you know? So it's like, I had a good tailwind. So I think there's a real thing around just like, are you the right person for a company? And so I looked at some of our competitors and it's just like, they didn't have any of that. So I knew I had all of this experience. I knew that because of that experience, I not only had like a distribution channel in our email list, but I just kind of knew the customer because like I was the customer. I've been living this. And then we knew that, this is a pretty viral product. And I think ideally you have a product that people want to talk about, but you still have to kind of brute force your way at the beginning to like get that flywheel started. And so we kind of knew that we wanted to get out front and become like the clear leader in this, you know, very quickly. And then the word of mouth and even just, you know, markets accrue excess profits to the leader. And just being number one in the, in the industry is always going to give you far outsized uh, profits than like the second best. You know, it's like if I launched a copywriting course today, like, you know, you would absolutely destroy me because like, I'm just some other, I'm just, you know, the 47th guy doing that. And it's like, you're a leader in the industry. You know, it's like, it's just going to be so hard for me to compete there. So we just went really hard on, you know, emailing our list. We, we started spending a lot of money on Facebook ads right out of the gate. We got some influencers and tried to build up an affiliate you know, community like right out of the gate. Um, and probably three months in, like we were like the clear leaders in the space. And then as the space grows, as people learn about AI copywriting, uh, they just end up going to the leader and, and they stick there because it's got the brand and they've heard of it a couple of times. And it's just like, so I think we've just kind of gotten to the front and like been like very buoyed by that. And like, that's, I think the big takeaway for me and, and like, the model of company that you build really matters. I would say we work far less hard on marketing with Jasper than we did on Proof. On Proof, we were killing ourselves. Our funnels were perfect. Our analysts were perfect. Like we had to execute perfectly in marketing in order to sell the product because it kind of became commoditized. Uh, with Jasper, like over the last year, like 
we care about marketing, but we don't, we don't talk about it a ton. We don't talk about, we don't, I don't even know if we run many AB tests, you know, over this last mm-hmm. year, like we don't really do most of that stuff because like, we've got the product, right. The community's great. Like we've got like a great tail when like the model, like really matters of like, and if you find yourself having to like totally grind in marketing to like eke out a profit or eke out some success in your funnel or whatever, it probably just means like the product is not good enough. And you could take that same effort, move it over to like a little different industry or product or model or whatever, and just totally crush it. And that's maybe like, that's maybe like my biggest lesson in the, like the, the Facebook post that I made that kind of caught your attention um, is like, I see a lot of people I really respect that are really great marketers, execute well, operate well, and are just great business people. You know, I put you in this category and it's like doing really well. And I'm like, I'm over here with Jasper, like working like less hard than you and like doing great in like an easier way, just because like the product is like more differentiated than like maybe a, a coaching business or course business would be. Uh, and I'm just like, again, I'm, I'm talking to one of my friends recently. I'm like, dude, like I respect you so much. Like you would be destroying me because like you work so hard. You're so excellent, but you're selling like a hard to sell product. Like just go sell a, an easier to sell product or, or a more, <laughs> like go, go sell like a more differentiated yeah. product. Uh, and you'll just, you'll just dominate because there's not, not as much competition at all. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, I gave this advice one. So I'll give a story. So I had a, a, she's a nurse. She's like a, a next level nurse though. So she's like a very advanced nurse and she wanted to build a business and she wanted to build a business in the maternity space. And she used to come to all of our training events and she was a, like, you could tell she knows what to do. So I built like a, model for her to go market and i was like go you use youtube i was like all you have to do maternity getting pregnant trying to get pregnant it's a big market and youtube is really a place where people go for those tips like just get yourself there your credibility is so huge and i said to her your marketing knowledge is way surpassed anyone in that space like you are a shark that is now in a pond of goldfish you use even 10% of what we've taught you. You're going to dominate because you're in a pool where they're not doing that. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. She started and she applied very little bit of the marketing finesse that we've shown and bam, out the gate, she came swinging. And like her marketing was probably way worse than like yours. You know, it's like, yeah. it doesn't, you don't need insane marketing no. to go and dominate there. And I remember thinking this too, like, you know, we were like doing coaching. I had like a, a mastermind and I'm like, I'm like a marketer selling marketing to marketers. And I get these people that would come in these different industries, gym businesses or videography or just like whatever, these wacky ones. And they would all do better than me. And like yeah. their funnels would, would outperform mine. And like, you know, I'm the expert, we are grinding. And I was just like, what is going on here? Like, like they're just, they're just differentiated in their market. And it was just like effortless for them to go build these companies here. And I'm just, I'm, I'm operating to perfection to do worse than them. And they would just kind of put up a landing page and you know, a little bit of funnel. You do a little bit of that stuff and it would just always work great. Uh, and that definitely no, got started. You're 100% right. I mean, even as, a, even as a copywriter, I'll tell you this, you, you said from maybe the one of the most brilliant things you've said on this interview is that if you find yourself having to work really, really hard just to squeeze out a little bit of profit, you have a product problem. I call it an offer problem. Yeah. That's all it is because I've always said a gr- great copy can never sell a bad offer, a shitty copy can always sell a bad, a great offer. Like 
that's what it is. I mean, in the end, that's that's literally the biggest truth. So when I get a lot of people, they'll come to me and say, I'm having issues that with my copy, it's not converting. Nine times out of 10, I'm like, no, nah, I think you have probably have an issue with what you're offering. And, um, and in this case, it's a combination, everybody, of what happened with Jasper. And that's why Jasper took off to a certain level, whereas, you know, proof was good and it did well, but it didn't take off. And that was just the size of the problem that was scratched and solved and the approach with which it was solved. So I, I took away this, Dave, you had your existing audience, Facebook ads and influencers. Okay. And this now I hear people thinking, well, I don't have an existing audience. It's literally people will just stop right off the spot and say, well, I don't. Okay. So I want to give everyone who's listening one story. Cause this is kind of a cool story it has to do with the watch company that I launched. Okay. I don't, I don't, I, I have an audience, but I don't have an audience that like, I think if I started selling them watches, it'd be a little bit weird. They don't really follow me for watches. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of them. And, but what we did is we found an audience that was underserved, that needed something. And the person we partnered with that I partnered with, this is probably one company where I'll tell you, I, I, I built the founders correctly. The person I partnered with had access to that audience, but very small access, not like the entire audience. They knew like 0.1% of the audience. But that was enough to test the, the concept and it flew. After that, all we did is turn on Facebook ads. Our pages suck, our funnels are non-existent, we don't even have a good backend, we're not even tracking our data, which the ad's okay. It's killing it. Like it's just absolutely killing it. And now we're just getting ready to scale it and we're still not tracking any data. We're not talking about funnels. We're not talking about back end, front end bumps. We, we have them. They suck. We don't care. We're not even concerned about it. So now the la next step will be we go to influencers. We're going to go to people that have bigger access to that audience. And that's enough. This is, we had a meeting earlier this year. It was like, what is our plan for the next like two years? Like, this is it. We don't need to make it more complicated. Just release more watches for more segments of this audience and get them out to influencers and Facebook ads and keep accumulating. And um, the point that I wanna to make to everybody is that you don't have to have massive access. You can partner with someone that has a little access, just enough to test it, so that you're not like putting a lot of effort and time on it. Um, and boom, that's, I agree. that's the marketing plan. It's nice to have an audience, you know, obviously like, I'd say the people with an audience out there, like kudos, like you are, you are on your way and have a much easier place to launch from. But if you don't, we could have launched Jasper and just like run market, you know, run Facebook ads if we had zero audience or whatever, you know, again, it would have been a little harder, but like, yeah, it's certainly not a prerequisite to go do anything. But, but, and like too, I mean, with proof, we were running such an extreme ad strategy. I mean, we're doing, you know, you got multiple ads, you got all these retargeting ads and certain sequences. And, you know, we've got, you know, thousands of, of AB tests running, Dude, I think a year in, we're still running the very first ad I ever wrote for, for Jasper. Jasper. And, you know, whatever. It was it was a good ad. Jasper wrote it. Um, it's not like a great ad. And like, you know, you and I both know that like your first take at something is like not going to be your best one ever. Yeah. But like it works. And we just haven't had time to like, like, you know, get it out there and like, you know, cycle through it or whatever to the next one here. And so it's just like, you want to find yourself doing something where the marketing's pretty easy and where it's just working. And it's like, it's, it's worth as painful as it is, it's worth stopping and going back to the beginning 
and getting that offer right, because it's going to make everything else so much easier in a very outsized way for years to come. So like, don't just keep grinding for diminishing returns, just stop and get, get the first part right. And, and everything else is just going to be, have a huge tailwind behind it. Yeah, I, I just couldn't agree more, which is why if you have a technical co-founder, it didn't cost you a ton of money. And if you take the mentality of build the first draft version, which you're actually embarrassed by, took a weekend, a few days to do it, you didn't really put a lot in. So if you put it out there to a small audience and it doesn't test well, don't push it, pull it, just abandon it and move on to the next thing until one that does. That's, you know, this this is advice that you're hearing everyone from Dave and we, and it sounds like obvious advice and it sounds simple, but I'm telling you, and Dave can back me up on this. It takes years of beating your head in business where you realize, gosh, it does not have to be this hard. You know, just it, the key is finding the thing. Like how hard is it for Apple to sell an iPhone? Do you even, do you buy their iPhone? Cause you saw a fancy ad on TV. No, it's just, it's an iPhone. It, it does what you want it to do. It's you go buy it. So I think that's been my lesson has just been, spend a lot of time on the right offer and and it becomes so smooth like it kind of like flows like water and it may not be your first second third fourth or fifth one but it's there if you keep evolving every time you try it that that's kind and of like getting happen. like getting like the right offer you know maybe it's maybe it's you know twice as hard to kind of find a great offer versus like an okay offer you know, maybe it takes twice as long. Maybe maybe it's five times as hard to kind of find that. the The return is far greater than five times better. Yeah. So it's like small, like disproportionate input to output. Like it takes you a little bit longer. Let's say, like you know, it takes you five months instead of one month to kind of like come up with like a great offer. Like the business for the great offer will probably be you know three hundred times bigger than the business. With the good offer, not five times bigger, not twice as good. Like it's it's hard to imagine how much better the great offer business will be, and so it's worth a little bit more time, a little bit more work to do that. And something we learned, you know, I did Y Combinator, which is a startup accelerator out in uh, in San Francisco. And then they said that that was really cool. Was like counterintuitively, it is easier to do hard things than it is to do easy things because. When you, when you do hard things to try to go build a hard business, people get excited about it and want to be involved and they want to help and they think it's cool and you can hire great people. Yeah. Nobody wants to work on an easy business with you. And, and like, they're both hard. Like they're both going to be hard. They're both going to take a lot of your time. They're going to take all your, you know, your, your mental abilities, but it's like, go pick a hard thing and then you'll be able to get people excited about it. And, and again, counterintuitively, like, the hard business will be worth 10,000 times more than the easy business because it's hard to do. And I think I just look for like things that like I've got an advantage in that would be maybe hard for other people to do, harder for other people to do than they are for me. Uh, and then just try and build a business off of that and recruit great people to it. So hard, hard things are worth doing. And in fact, like they might be like the only things worth doing in business. Uh, I'll never try to do like a, a easy defensible, uh, indefensible business again. I, I can completely agree that's one of my rules for my like kind of 20 years of learning that i'm going to be writing down one of the rules is that most great businesses will be harder in the beginning but so much easier later on right so 
it's easier to recruit. It's easier to find talent. There's a bigger talent pool. But the beginning is probably harder because you are investing to create something that's so valuable. And so those that are very easy to make money early are not bad. And I'm certainly not knocking them. Just know that that's exactly their purpose, that they're going to make you money, but they're probably going to be gone in a year from now or six months from now or two years from now. And so, so for some people, that's really important. That's awesome. I sit at a different place. I'm sure, Dave, I could speak for you, where an extra income isn't really what I'm looking for now. I'm looking for needle movers, which is more net worth driven. Or I want to, like, I also decided the next company I build, I don't think I'm getting like, you know, I'm 38 and I've made a lot of money and money just isn't my motivator anymore. It just isn't. It just, I'm, I don't care, right? But solving problems that I'm super passionate about and, and, you know, coming in and disrupting a space that I think is completely in, run in, inefficiently, I am passionate about that. And, and just so it turns out, if I do that, I'll get super rich doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So. yeah, and that's an example. Like, you're a guy that's like, you know, can be super choosy with like what you do. Like, you know, you wouldn't join something that's kind of just like an easy, you know, mediocre business. But it's like, you would join something that's super exciting and super, and sounds hard and like sounds challenging and sounds like, man, this is like, this is like a decent chance of like failing, but like it's worth like doing and people like you want that too. And so it's like, if you want a chance of getting somebody like that to work with you, uh, you've got to have something that's, that's hard and exciting and it has a really big vision there. And even I'm experiencing this now, like we're starting to hire these executives from other like public companies. These people are pretty wealthy and, you know, like they're coming to Jasper and quitting their like great jobs because like it's exciting like has a chance of like becoming an epic company uh and we just you know I, I never would have been able to even talk to them with you know any past company i was running so what so hey closing off questions i mean i mean uh i there's another part of our interview that really caught my attention he said hey we want to go ipo in three years you know that's kind of our vision for this so that, that's a big 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 vision so what is the vision of your company what's next for you just really tripled quadruple down on jasper or are you positioning more as a software company you've got a couple of other SaaSes that are going to come out and collectively the company will go public like where what's the vision yeah it's all jasper i mean jasper will be the product and the company that we we take public here um you know i'm, I'm a big believer in like niching down and, and like really like you got to think in concentric circles here. So it's like you kind of take like the most center circle. You've got to become a monopoly in that circle before you go on to the next thing. And, and you know, maybe by monopoly, I mean you've got to be number one and kind of hold that in like some little small circle. So let's say like right now, Jasper is number one in like marketing, copywriting, and content as like a tool. Now we've got to hold that. That's not guaranteed. We'll keep that. Other competitors will come, but it's like, we want to kind of hold that, uh, especially for like SMB, like small businesses right now. But over the next year, like we're going to try to expand up market. We're going to kind of hold that, but then try to also become like the go-to number one tool for marketing copywriting for um, thousand person companies and enterprises. You know, we want to get Coca-Cola and Yelp and Groupon, you know, whatever on there. So it's like, we want to kind of expand up into that. And like, that would be like, we want to get a monopoly there. I think eventually we'll kind of branch out into other um, other organizations inside of companies, and so I think we can build a tool that helps sales teams, you know, do prospecting and outreach. That's like a, that's like a different buyer, a little different use case, a little different mm -hmm. thinking. So we're going to hold this like marketing tool, but then we're going to kind of go and dominate the sales space, uh, and I think we can go and dominate the customer support space. And so just like using AI to respond to customer emails, to respond to reviews, to just 
accelerate how fast you can help your customers, you know, on a support level there. Um, and who knows, there might be like other like little industries in there, but you know, we feel like we've kind of got like a beachhead around like, you know, marketing content. We want to definitely hold that, but then expand into other parts, uh, of, of companies and other, you know, segments in the industry there. And I think like that, I mean, I don't know. I think the marketing copy space is big enough that we could probably like IPO with just doing that really well. Um, so we, we may not even have to go into other stuff there, but yeah, we're just going to keep building the product to be better for like larger companies, larger teams, you know, be better for just writing long form content. Um, and yeah, there's just so much to build. I mean, we're only a year in and we've only had, you know, a couple of developers, you know, through a lot of this year. So we just got to kind of build, build the company that really could go IPO. That's incredible, man. Well, seriously, you know, I take great pride in the fact that I think about 500 of those 50,000, hopefully I've, I've sent over and, uh, yeah, I, you know, yeah. plan, plan to continue, you know, um, supporting you guys. And, um, I, I will also say that one of the things that got my attention too was I have promoted stuff that's rebuilt before. And the problem is like, it fizzles out in a couple months, three months, and then, you know, Man, I'm I'm making more money today from my Jasper rebuilds than I was three months ago. So somehow I don't know. You guys, you got people probably upgrading, uh, and so it's it's awesome. Actually, uh, Jasper turned into went from our smallest affiliate promotion. If you looked at what I made the first week or two I ever promoted it in July, and it actually went and became one of our top six or seven. Um, and, and it continues, right? Cause I haven't, I haven't even talked about it in three or four months. So it's like, it's awesome. What I want everyone to realize there is that that got my, it got me thinking like, oh my God, I did such little effort. That was like really small compared to all the other marketing I do. That was like really small effort. And I'm like, son of a gun. If that was my own, like I would have this and then I could have like four or five other Onyx out there that I know that are friends that I can like call on their cell phone and de demand that they, you know, support me <laughs> and um, they would be doing this. And and so, yeah, you know, after that post you made and I've been kind of seeing other people talk about it, but that post you made really got me thinking, dude, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all the smartest people I know who I've followed for a long time are all doing this and saying this and loving it that it's something to really pay attention to. Uh, wish you guys all the very best. Keep crushing it. Hopefully, hopefully you'll be back. Maybe we'll get you back in a few months, give another update. Maybe at 100,000 you know, users, we'll kind of learn what the next piece has done for you. But uh, I'll leave you any closing words, man. I mean, I want to respect your time as well. Just do hard things and just know that marketing and distribution is a superpower. Like, I love it. It's why we've dominated, you know, product is getting easier to build. I'm just like, just sell something besides courses and you will see outsized returns, you know, and marketing will become even more of a superpower, you know, cause you just want something differentiated. So that'd be my, that, that's my closing thought. That's the reason for the post of just, I, I love what you're doing. I love marketing. Uh, it's just it's so much easier to sell watches than it is. Yeah. $7 courses. You know what I mean? So true. Uh, and I think, yeah. I think, I think you've kind of got to do it for that to really set in. You know, I think once you kind of do it, you go, Oh my gosh, like why didn't I do this sooner? Um, but it's well, definitely, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. So uh, I'll leave it with this. Cause I want everyone to understand. I said something before I never backed it up. So the, the watch company, right. It's been the least push and pull of any business I've ever launched. So first of all, we have four founders all have their own individual roles. They're damn good at what they do. 
And that means all four of us aren't stressed out because we're, we're, we're doing what we do best and we're doing it in a 10th of the time. So everyone is doing this like kind of part-time, not stressed, it's booming, it's growing, and we're all happy. And that was my vision of kind of like, oh, that's true team building, right? Like, and it's just like, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta give up equity. But then it's just like, I, I, it doesn't take up much of my time. Like this company takes up a few hours of my time a week. And now it leaves me all the rest of the time to go build more stuff. So definitely if you're out there and you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking about, you know, I, I, there's obviously pitfalls to having a partner and having partners. There's for every one good story, there's 15 that were, you know, so pick wisely, choose wisely, all that fun stuff. But uh, yeah, man, Dave, thank you so much. Uh, it's been an honor, man. It's been great having you on. And to all of you listening, make sure you go to onicpodcast.com, smash that subscribe button, click like, leave a comment subscribe to this podcast on any platform you're on and make sure you go to, Hey, what's the URL Jarvis.ai? Is that where they can go? Not Jarvis, Jasper.ai. I did it again. Jarvis, will, re sorry. Jarvis will redirect that. So you can go to Jarvis. Marvel, don't sue me. It was a, it was an honest mistake. Okay. It's Jasper.ai. Go on over to Jasper.ai. Sign up. Seriously. It's a really cool tool. Writes your copy for you. Uh, Dave, any other place that they can go to kind of follow you or learn more about you? Or is it just, Hey, it's Jasper. That's kind of the main thing. Go to our Facebook group. You know, on Twitter, I, I retweet stuff, but I'm not that active on there. But yeah, it's jasper.ai. All right, guys, head over to jasper.ai. With that said, what do I always say? When life pushes you, stand straight, smile, push it the heck back. This is Onyx signing off. See you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to The Fighting Entrepreneur with your host, Onyx Singal.